You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning to you. It has already been a wonderful morning of worship. Pastor Rick and Annette are out of town today. They are at a conference uh, with a number of other pastors, and I guess he's learning how to be a better pastor to all of us. They're exchanging ideas and prayers for one another, and so you can be praying for Pastor Rick and Annette as they are gone this morning. Standing in Rick's place is uh, one of my favorite preachers. Dr. Dan Boone, the president of Trevecca Nazarene University, is with us this morning. And uh, Dr. Boone is the husband to Denise. He is a father. He is a father-in-law. He is a grandfather. He is a professor. He is a teacher. He is a pastor. He is an author. He has wide influence In our denomination, he is a denominational leader, and uh, I personally am very glad that he is here. I said to the first service that, uh, that I took a class, a preaching class from Dan Boone when I was in seminary, and Dan started the class this way. He said, Tell me about who, are, who some of your balcony preachers are and some of your basement preachers. Basement preachers are the, are the people that we never want to hear. Balcony preachers are the people that we could hear over and over again, and the people that we as young pastors would like to model ourselves after. And Dan Boone is one of those pastors and one of those preachers. And so, Dr. Boone, we are very glad that you have uh, accepted our invitation to come and preach this morning. We are going to listen to the reading of God's Word out of Revelation chapter 1, and then I want you to be blessed by the ministry of Dan Boone. Revelation 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Now, look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Right. Therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I remember my 47th birthday like it was yesterday. My wife loves surprises. So she, said, she started saying to me months before the birthday came, she said, this is going to be great. You are going to love this birthday. Well, it frightened me a little bit. So I started watching the, uh, the check balance and the credit card bills, uh, and I, I thought, what is this woman up to? Well, no overdrafts and no credit card meltdowns. So I thought, man, this is going to be interesting. Woke up that morning. We got up. She said, get dressed for a casual day. I'm taking the kids to school, and I'll be back to pick you up. Waited about an hour, and she came back. She came upstairs into our bedroom, and she blindfolded me. Took me by the hand, led me down the stairs, through her family room, into the kitchen, out the kitchen door, into the garage, and she hit the garage door uh, opener. The door began to come up, and what I saw next was an apocalypse. Do you ever use that word, apocalypse? I've not heard anybody say it all week long. Uh, it, it usually is a word reserved for a catastrophe, uh, you know, nuclear annihilation, a terrorist attack, a tsunami on the way to land, uh, an asteroid hurtling toward the earth to obliterate us all. Uh, those are the kinds of things that happen that cause us to go grab this word apocalypse and use it. And yet its meaning is not that at all. The word actually means to uncover something or to reveal something. It's a word that's found in the title of the last book of our Holy Scriptures, The Apocalypse of Jesus to John. Now, the question is raised, what is being revealed? I mean, what is it that's being uncovered by this particular book of Scripture? Well, there's a lot of speculation about that. 
Some folks say the expiration date for the planet that we live on. If you know your math and you can figure this stuff out, you can come up with the end date. Others say it's the, it's the nations that are going to duke it out in that final battle of Armageddon. Others say the Antichrist and the identity of that Antichrist can, can be discerned by that. Uh, love the website that just is so totally convinced they have discovered the identity of the Antichrist. I mean, they've applied mathematics and linguistics and they put all this together and have reached the conclusion that the Antichrist is Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> no kidding. So what is being revealed here? I think it's in the title. The Apocalypse or the Revelation of Jesus. I think what is being revealed to us is Jesus in this last book of Scripture in a very specific kind of way that, that somehow talks to us now in the same way that it talked to the churches of the Revelation of that day and time. If, if you read through the Revelation, what you'll find is it is loaded, loaded with the titles of God. Just all kind of titles everywhere. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. Uh, the Lamb of God, the slaughtered one. It's just all over the place, these titles of God. But my favorite one is the one that's right there in chapter 1 and verse 4. That this letter is from the one who is and who was and who is to come. The one who is and was and is to come. You do know where that name comes from, don't you? You have to go back in the Old Testament. You've got Moses standing in front of a bush that doesn't burn and a voice talking to him out of that bush saying, Go tell Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. And Moses looks into the bush and says, Who are you? Who do I say to Pharaoh sent me? And God answers to him out of the bush and says, You go tell Pharaoh that the conjugation of the verb to be has sent you. Because that is what the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, the name of God means. It's the conjugation of the verb to be. Was, is, will be. I grew up down in Mississippi, and uh, they talk a lot about the uh, the poor school system down there. I, you know, I don't know. I I think I got a great education. Matter of fact, I had to take Latin in the ninth grade, tenth grade. 11th grade and 12th grade. I had four years of Latin in high school. And one thing I know how to do is conjugate a verb. When you conjugate a verb, you go past, present, future. And the name Yahweh is this past, present, future kind of name for God. And yet here in the Revelation, an interesting thing happens. It doesn't go in that order. The God who is present and who was past and who is to come or will be future. The, the reordering of the tenses of the very name of God to signal us that something about this Jesus being revealed in time is being stated to us in a very, in a very direct way. Now, this Jesus, if, if an alien plopped down on the streets of Bethany and walked up to you and said, Hey, I'm hearing and seeing a lot about this Jesus. 
I've never heard of Jesus before. Could you tell me about Jesus? My gut tells me you're going to go with the story, Mary Joseph, manger, uh, shepherds, wise men, uh, rush to, uh, you know, get out of town before Herod, mean old Herod comes and gets the baby, uh, baptized by John in the River Jordan, Sermon on the Mount, healings, uh, parables, uh, cast out demons, forgave sin, religious leaders mad, crucified, dead, and buried. That's the story of Jesus that you're going to, to tell. It's the gospel language of this particular Jesus. But while John is on the island of Patmos, Jesus appears to him. But in chapter 1, this description of Jesus is like none other that you and I would see in the gospels. Because in this description... The Christ, the Jesus, who was once stripped naked on a cross, now he is robed with a golden sash robe in royal splendor. This Jesus, whose hair was matted in blood, now his hair shines white, three times white, in his glowing white hair. This same Jesus, whose eyes were once wearied by Gethsemane prayer, now these eyes are blazing fire in the sockets. This Jesus, whose hands... We're fixed to a cross. Now these hands hold stars. This Christ, whose feet were nailed to a cross, now they look like burnished bronze walking right out of a furnace. This Jesus, whose voice was so wearied on Gethsemane that he said, I thirst. Now his voice sounds like ocean waves hitting the shore with uproarious thunder. This same Jesus, whose face was darkened in death, now it shines like the sun in all its brilliance at noonday. This is the Jesus that appears to John. And John says to us there in chapter 1, When I saw him, I fell down as dead. And he reached his right hand, the hand of blessing, and he placed it on me and said, John, do not be afraid. I am the first, the was, and the last, the will be. I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Now, John, get up and write. And so John begins to write. In chapters 2 and 3, he writes the seven letters to the seven churches, uh, which some people say are the seven ages of church. I don't think so at all. It's basically the Roman postal route, how the mail got delivered. And they carry the letter around and read it to all the churches. And in chapters 4 and 5, the heavens open up and we see a throne up there in heaven. And there's one seated on the throne and he's holding this scroll. And he's surrounded by the 24 elders and the four living creatures that are there. And they're all singing praise to him. But no one is found who is worthy to open the scroll until a slaughtered lamb enters the picture. And he is worthy to open the scroll. And in chapter 6, six and seven he begins to open the scroll and the first four seals of that scroll are the four horsemen of the apocalypse that ride out into the world and fill the world with violence and death and poverty and all these kind of things and then chapters eight nine ten and eleven seven trumpets blow and in the blowing of each trumpet fractional destruction occurs across the earth the water and the and the land and trees and all this kind of stuff are affected by it then in chapter 12 you get to the christmas story that you find in the book of the revelation and there's this woman and she's pregnant with this baby and there's this big red dragon who hates the woman kind of like herod hated jesus but anyhow this this, this dragon wants to eat the baby when the baby's born, but, Archa- but Michael, the archangel of God, swoops down from heaven, picks up the woman, the dragon, and everybody takes them all up into heaven. There's this big boxing ring in heaven, and in this corner, there's Michael, the archangel of God, Woo! 
booing. And this angel, there's uh, the big red dragon, and they go at it, and Michael body slams the dragon all the way down to the earth, and he's really ticked now. And he, so he goes chasing after the woman. As soon as the baby's born, he lunges to get the baby, but there's a river that separates them, and the woman and the baby escape, and they're all fine. And then in chapters 13 and 14, we meet two beasts. One beast comes out of the sea. He's the really big, bad beast, chaos beast, and all this, he's really bad. And then there's this other beast, the land beast. He's a little PR beast that runs around saying, ah, he's the big, bad beast. I'm the PR beast. I'll go around. He'll mark you with the mark of the beast if you're not careful. And these two beasts, I mean, they do all their kind of stuff. And then in, in the next two chapters, in chapters 15 and 16, seven bowls of wrath are poured out again for actual destruction of all of earth, earth and everything. In my favorite part, chapter 17, 18, 19, there's this prostitute, and she's riding side saddle on the back of the beast. Not the little PR beast around, around, but the big, bad beast who's there. And, and she's riding side saddle on the back of this beast. She's drunk with the blood of the saints. She's been drinking it. And she has in her hands a, a little black book. In it are the names of all the kings and merchants of the earth who have put all their trust in her. Uh, she's Rome. She's actually Rome and the power of Rome. And all these people have trusted in her for everything they have. She used to be Babylon and then before that she was Egypt, but now she's Rome. And she's riding on the back of this beast and they run into the lamb, the slaughtered lamb that we say all the way back in chapters 4 and 5 was able to open the seals of the scroll that were there. And, and they run in and the, the prostitute goes down in defeat to the slaughtered lamb that is there. The big bad beast decides, well, she's no good. She can't turn tricks anymore. And he eats her up, gobbles her up. She's gone out of the way. And all the people who are in the little black book they just they mourn and they wail because their hope has disappeared. I mean, they put all their trust in the prostitute. Now she's gone. The beast gobbled her up, and this is a horrible thing. And then the people of God show up in this hill, and they're dressed in white robes, and they're celebrating, and they're called the bride of the Lamb. And then in chapter 20, we get the, the, end, the final battle that happens in seven scenes. And then we come to chapter 21. And in chapter 21, the same... Isn't that great? And you didn't think people from Mississippi could talk fast. In chapter 21, the same one who told, the same voice that told John to write these things down, he begins to speak again. And we read this in chapter 21 of the Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea, for the old chaos beast came out of, was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I don't know that we're going to get zapped up. It looks like heaven's going to come down. That's what it says right here. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I love this. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people's. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For these things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And then he said, Write this. For these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. For I am the Alpha, the A, and the Omega, the Z, the beginning and the end. I think when we read the book of Revelation with all the nutso speculation that goes on about it, I think it's a very simple story. What is being given to us is the Christ who stands in this moment, the one who is with us in this moment, who has always been there, who is the beginning of all things. Before time began, it was in his hands. 
and the one who stands in tomorrow as the Lord and Savior of all humankind, whose greatest desire is to dwell with his people. I wish I'd understood that earlier. So For so long in my Christian life, I was kind of like walk, trying to walk into my future, and most of my energy was on, well, the scriptures I studied back there and the doctrines of the church that are back there and <clears throat> the historical activity of God and all of these things. So I'm looking back and trying to get the right cues and then take the right steps into the future, you know, looking back. And the whole idea that God may well be located right there just as much he is right there. And then I began to rethink scripture and think, well, that's where God's always been. I mean, you go to the creation story. It's not like here's a big ball of chaos, the, the earth is formless and void, and that God runs around behind it and sort of rolls it into existence. No, the way the story is told, God stands in front of it, in the future of it, calls it into existence, light be, birds be, bees be. And he just calls it into existence. Gets out in front of Abram. And he says to Abram, Abram, tell you what, I want you to leave the land of your father. I want you to come with me through you. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless the the peoples of the earth. He gets in front of Moses and says, Moses, you and I are going to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Gets in front of a virgin named Mary and says, may your womb become the first temple for my son. And she says, may it be to me, future language, even as you have said. Gets in front of Peter, James, John in their fishing boats and says, guys, enough of this business. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Gets in front of Saul, the persecutor on the road to Damascus. And, you know, Saul had already put Jesus in his rearview mirror. This is a crucified, dead, wannabe Messiah. And all of a sudden he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Always God seems to stand in the very next moment of time in front of his people, calling us into that moment. If I hadn't seen that from Scripture, I I sure should have understood it from the way that we taught our children to walk. Uh, Those of you who have kids, you know how you teach them to walk. You find all these cords like this, and you stretch them across the place, and you pull up stuff that has sharp corners and everything. Then you get behind your kid, and you kind of put your hand squarely on their diaper and say to them, Walk, kid! And you shove them. No way. You know what you do. You clear the room. You clear the room of anything. And then you put them back over here, and you prop them up on something solid. In the same way that we have been propped up from time old on the scriptures, the teachings of the scriptures, the songs that we've learned, the people who have poured their lives into us, the saints of the ages, the orthodoxy of the church, propping them up on something solid. And then you go across the room and you get down eye level with that child and you look at that kid, you open your arms and you say, come. And when that child's eyes meet your eyes, they step into a future. They walk into a future because of the love that exists in the distance between where they are and where you are. They decide to move into that future. This is where our God stands. He stands in our future saying to us, come, come. And as our eyes meet the eyes of this Jesus... We have the opportunity to step into that future without fear 
over that worry. I love how the revelation ends there in 22, verse 16. It ends like this. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with his testimony for the churches. And then he says, I am the root and descendant of David. That's the wasness of this Jesus. I go all the way back. The root and descendant of David. And I am the bright morning star. The next thing we see in the morning. So the spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. And let anyone who is thirsty come and take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And the church says, come, Lord Jesus. This space between us and this Christ. So what might the Spirit say to the church today? You know where you are. You know what is, is. You know what you're facing. Some of you have doubts and questions about it. Some of you are afraid of it. Some of you are wondering, what in the world am I going to do with it? And as you face this way, there are even some of you who say, I I just want, want to go back here. But you're out on the precipice of this present moment with all the world and all of its experiences facing you. Is it possible that the gift of the revelation to us this morning is to see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, standing in that moment with his arms outstretched back toward us saying, Child, come. No need to be afraid. I am here. It's no guarantee that it will be easy, but it is a guarantee that we will never be alone and that he will be there with us. She blindfolded me. Led me down the stairs and through the family room, out through the kitchen door. Hit that garage door opener. It opened, and what I saw next was an apocalypse. A bright red, brand new convertible Mustang. Borrowed for the day. (laughs) From a dealer in our local church. And in the back seat were Paul and Tess, our very dear friends, wearing very cool shades. And Beach Boys music was blaring on the radio. Oh, man. We traveled uh, the shores of Lake Michigan that day, ate at all of our favorite places, sang our fool heads off like a bunch of teenagers, had a blast all day long as we were pulling into the driveway that night. I turned to Denise and I said, You were right. This is one of the best birthdays I've ever had. I'll never forget this. And I should have known that that day would be like that because the one who was standing in it, preparing it for me, loved me. From where you are right now, as you face into your future, there is one standing in the middle of it who loves you. I've been singing an old old, old, old song in a very, very new way in recent days. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. And that verse, uh, just as I am, your love unknown has broken every barrier down now to be yours. Yes, yours alone. O Lamb of God, that's revelation language, Lamb of God, I come.
And I thought we might sing that together in closing this morning. And allow you to have this opportunity to step into a gift. That whatever your present experience is, that causes you to look into the future with some concern or fear or wondering or doubt or whatever. That all of a sudden you could put Jesus right there because that's where he is. And that you might see him in that present moment. And when you see him, you'll recognize him. He'll be the one with his arms outstretched like this toward you. With his eyes locked on yours, saying to you, Child, come. Come. If you'd like to avail yourself of an opportunity to actually cross some geographical distance this morning and come and kneel at an altar of prayer as a way of saying to God, I'm coming, Lord. I get it. I get it. I'm on the way into my future in response to your call and your presence there. But whatever you do this morning, let your heart move toward this God who stands in your future as we sing together. Would you stand and let's sing it together.
you have a friend you'd like to come pray with, feel free to do that. God of kindness and grace, the God who is with us in this very moment, who is the beginning, the Alpha, and the one who is the end, the Omega, the first and the last. We are your fragile creatures who stand in time and at the beginning of this new year. The confession of our heart is that we can walk into the future if we know that you are there. You've gifted us with this great, great text of Scripture to assure us that it is true and it is so. May it be so in our lives. And may the future unfold for us in obedient response to you, the one who stands in our future. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and grant you peace as you walk into your tomorrow. God be with you as you go. Amen and amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.